Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We've been talking about all spiritual blessings, and we're going to continue to talk about all spiritual blessings, but I've given this next section that we're going to begin this morning here in verse 15. I've entitled this series of lessons, and there will be many of them to the end of this chapter, The Blessings of Redemption. This will be part one. The blessings of redemption. Really, when you think about the blessings of redemption, it's all kind of connected together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I I swear, the older I get, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more the Lord teaches me and instructs me and seeks to guide me and correct me in my understanding of where my spiritual eyes should be looking and focused and not. You know, we, we seem to be, all of us, just by nature, I think it's a, a, a flaw in na- our natural humanity, we have a tendency to think on an earthly realm. And, you know, when, when you're young, and, you know, we all, all, all of us that are older now, we were young at one point in time, you have a tendency to think that you're going to live forever. I mean, you know you're not, but when you're 18, 19, 20, even 25 years of age, 65 years of age or 81 or 82 years of age seems like an eternity in front of you. And so we look at things uh, just naturally, and you know we've been talking about that in the Sunday uh, worship services, and we're going to get there eventually in chapter 4, that that the things that are seen are temporal. He has promised us that he has blessed us not with temporal blessings, though we do enjoy them. I mean, if you had a long marriage, you had healthy uh, health in your own body, you've had uh, financial blessings from our God, You've been blessed with brothers and sisters in Christ that love and are devoted to the gospel. Those things are wonderful, and they're an encouragement to us. But those things all are so fleeting. They are, are so passing. I mean, all you've got to do is go read wise Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where he talks about remember now thy creator in the days of your youth. And our days of our youth now are, if, we're, if you're older like me, they're a long they're a long way behind you. And a lot of them have been replaced by aches and pains, <laughs> difficulties, loss of memory, loss of abilities, right? Well, when all those things go, where do you look? He said, but we look to the things that are not seen, which are temporal, but we look what? The things that are not seen. Here's something I cannot see. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I can't put my hands on that, Kenny. It's nothing physical that I can wrap my arms around. But by God-given faith, what does that involve? It involves my salvation, both body and soul, my deliverance from this present evil world. It, it promises me that he will never leave me nor forsake me. It promises me that, listen... He, we, he is able to keep me from falling. That's, that takes a sovereign power right there in itself. 
able to keep me from falling and present me, a sinner, by birth, by nature, by practice, and even still by choice, present me to himself holy. Now think about that. Unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now you tell me how that can be accomplished by anything you or I can do in this life, even assisted by, if we were assisted, by God the Holy Spirit in the accomplishment of it. Preached 36 years. It does not equal to anything. Walk with the Lord. I prayed a lot of prayers. Gave a lot of gifts. Hopefully I've showed a lot of love to God's children. Hopefully, in some sense of the form, I've tried by God's grace to love my God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul. But for the life of me, with each passing day, you know what I find out? Same thing I hope you find out. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. We are rotten to the core. I'm not. Well, then you don't know the Lord. You don't know his grace. I told Sally yesterday as we were sitting there, you know, I, you know we, we, we think about heaven and the reality of it. And it's, it's real. I mean, it's as real to me by faith as, as you are sitting in front of me. But I don't know what it's going to be like. None of us do. But I think one of the main things about heaven to you and me as children of God is, and I tried to express this to Sally yesterday. I, I don't, it's hard to put it into words. I can tell you that I know I've been delivered from my sin, and I have. I know that Christ has forgiven me. I know that, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for my own name's sake. He did it. And I can talk about the fact from Whatever I've got in this present state that I'm in, I can talk about how I know I've been delivered from all these things. But when we go to glory, we're translated from this life to the next. For the first time ever, we're going to really know what we've been delivered from. And I tell you, it's not going to take any coercion or any promises or threats to get us to follow the Lamb. Because we're going we, we to, listen, we're going to see him like he is. We're going to see him as a, and we're going to know what he bore in his body on that tree for us. We're going to, we're going to, and, and that, that, you know what that's going to do? That's going to cause us to even, we, we try to love him, can't. Then we're going to be what? We're going to be free from this body of death. And for the first time, we are, we're going to be able to love him. Truly love him. As we're with him. So these blessings of redemption, folks, they're eternal and they're secure. And they're eternally secure not because of us, not because of our faith, not because of any change or reformation in us that we're some kind of new creature now that we weren't when we, that we, weren't when we first started. They're secure because of the one who made the promise. This is the promise he had promised us. Either God lied or he didn't lie. What's he promised us? This is the promise he's promised us, eternal life. And this life is only one place. 
not Grace Baptist Church. It's not in your profession. It's not in you going to a baptismal pool. It's not in your perseverance. This eternal life is where? It's in the Son. He that hath the Son. Do you have the Son? See, that's the thing. Do you have, he that hath the Son hath life. What life? Not just life like what we're looking at right here. What do you have? You have eternal life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Now, in these verses, look at verse 15, because this is the only one we're going to look at this morning. Paul writes to these believers after he's told them, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. After he's told us that God the Father chose a, 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 a group of sinners before they'd done any good or any evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. And I, that's a whole other sermon in and of itself right there. He chose us before they, we had done, listen to that now, He chose us before we had done any good or any evil, either one of them. So it had nothing to do with me. Not, God wasn't looking anywhere and seeing anything good or bad and then putting it in a scale and weighing it up and hoping you come up on the right way. He just chose. And I don't know about you, but I owe him an infinite debt of gratitude that he would choose one like me because I know myself. I know what's in my heart. I know what's in, men, men and women are so, all of us are so self-righteous by nature, so judgmental by nature, but we always judge by nature on the wrong standard. That's why we're so self-righteous. The standard is not me. It's not you. It's not the Apostle Paul whose words we write here. The standard of righteousness is where? It's not even the law. The standard of righteousness by which men are judged is where? Christ Jesus the Lord. He's appointed, isn't it? Isn't what he said? He's appointed in a day in which he's going to judge this world in righteousness by that man whom he hath appointed. So the standard's there. <laughs> that's, that's the plumb bob. Do you measure up not to the righteousness of the law? Do you have the righteousness of Christ? See, that's what you've got to have. You might achieve some standard of morality and sincerity it's not righteousness. They didn't tell me that in Sunday school. They didn't tell me that in vacation Bible school. We were talking about it last week while we were sitting there at lunch. I, I, I can't remember one time in my life of religion from the time I started under my mom and them in that church, First Calvary Baptist Church at Manny, Louisiana, until I finally ended up my religious domain over at Broad, Broad Acres Baptist Church, even when I started preaching to them bunch of rebels, and myself included as a rebel preaching to a bunch of rebels up at Heiko Baptist Church, every, never one time did anybody say anything about Christ's imputed righteousness. And when you say it to your friends and family and neighbors, they look at you like you've lost your mind. What are you talking about? I've accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. 
again, Ken found, he texted me right, right he texted me, we got, we got the lunch. He, I told him, you better not be reading on your phone during while I'm preaching, <laughs> but we got to eat. I asked last week, I was talking about where that accepting Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, where that started at. You know where it started at? I, I, I attribute it, Mr. Fuller, I have to apologize for throwing contempt and shame on your, your name. It goes back further than Andrew Fuller. John Flavel was who, who was the first one that came up with that, that idea. I don't know why. I, well, I do know why. It's all about a tote board. It's all about, all about numbers that you can measure up about your success. Grace Baptist Church, in the gospel message that we preach, its success is not measured by the number of bottom ends sitting in the pews out in front of me. It's measured by this. Is God glorified and honored in all that we do? That we hold forth Christ's righteousness alone every time we stand up and preach? Do we declare a salvation accomplished? Or do we declare a potential salvation that's there for you either take or, or reject? Okay. But in this verse, notice what he says. Wherefore, I also, after I heard, you hear this? Paul says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the world. Isn't that what you're saying? No. What did he heard about? Their love not for the world. Our Lord said that, did he not? He said, love not to world, neither the things that are in the world. That's what John wrote, wrote that in 1 John. For all that's in the world, lust flesh, lust eyes, pride of life, they are of the world. Right? Love unto all the saints. You think about this. What we have here, Paul prays that all believers, this is what he's doing in his words, starting in verse 15 to the end of this chapter. His prayer and his hope and his desire is that all believers be comforted and know God the Father's glory and Christ's preeminence and fullness, his mediator and surety, is directly dependent on being brought to an eternal state of happiness. Listen to me. If one saint, one sinner, for whom Christ came, whom the Father chose, whom Christ came and died for, who the Holy Spirit regenerates and converts, if one of them fails to make it to glory, God's glory, glory falls flat. He is not magnified. He is not honored. Listen, it, that's why it all depends on Him. He's faithful. You think about that verse in Lamentation. It's of the Lord's mercy we're not consumed. Even now, His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great thy faithfulness. Not my faithfulness, great thy faithfulness. What a God we serve. And he did this thing in a way that it's all about glorifying and honoring himself. You think about this. The elect themselves are God. We're God's portion. Didn't have to choose us. 
Nothing compelled him to choose us. He just chose. And I tell you what, if he had chose just one, if he'd have chose just one sinner out of the, the billions of people that had lived through time, if that was his choice, you know it, God would be glorified. But here's the thing that's so unique. If he had chose but one sinner, you know who still had to come? You know who still had to honor and magnify the law and make it, magnify the law and make it honorable? You know who still had to die? Who had to be raised again? Who had to be exalted and magnified and sat, caused to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high? The Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, the, the number doesn't affect it. It still required him. Hey? For God so loved the world that he gave who? His son. Not that the world could be, would be condemned by him, but that, listen, the language is clear. But by him, what? The world is saved. Now, you either become a universalist, which is not scriptural. If world means world, it means every single solid. If God loved every single solitary person that has ever been born of a woman, he says he loved them, and he didn't hear not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Who's going to heaven? If world means world, if all means all without exception, if every means every single solitary soul, everybody's going. We can quit. We don't have to preach this message. Because it does not depend on the sinner, it depends on the God who purposed. So if it doesn't mean all men and women without exception, what does it mean? It means the world of his elect. It means all those that he chose before the foundation of the world. All those whom Christ represented as a surety. That's another thing they never told me about in religion. They never taught me about a mediator. How about you? Seriously. I mean, think back on it. All the things. All the, I had, Listen. I wasn't out there in the little country churches like Kenny was at. I was in the First Baptist Church of Manny. And one of the priorities of the First Baptist Church in Manny, you know what? They would never call anybody to be their pastor except he had that little two-letter word in front of his name with a dot after it. He had to be Dr. Reverend so-and-so. All that Greek idea and hist historical Hebrew teaching and all their philosophy never taught the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Never talked about a righteousness imputed. Never. I I'd rather be a, a, a country bumpkin that stumbles over every word preaching Christ and his righteousness and have a degree and a name and a title that men admire me for who I am. We want Christ declared. But we're God's portion. <laughs> we're the inheritance of the Lord. In whom and by whom he'll be forever glorified. Now, it doesn't change him. He's glorified before us. See, that's, that's the thing. God's elect, you think about it, 
Every one of us, from the from the newborn babe in Christ to the most mature saint that's walked with the Lord their entire life, knowing him and loving him and being drawn into his fullness, all of us make up Christ's mystical body. And every one of us have a role in this body. We're his bride. So not only are we comforted in knowing first that God loves us with an intense, everlasting love. He says, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Can you get your head around that one? Let the potsherds of the earth wrestle and fight with the potsherds of the earth. Well, I think we were under the wrath of God. Well, what you're saying, you're saying that God's children were never, were never under God's wrath. Well, listen, we were under the condemnation and penalty of God's law. And that law demanded our death. But folks, you got to get this thing right. How long have you been a son of God? I'll tell you when. When he chose you before you had done neither any good or evil. Isn't that what it says of Christ? Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? His sons and daughters that he chose in everlasting covenant of grace when they fell in at him. He came to save them. But he, he, there's never been a time he didn't love me. Not one. <laughs> hey, think about that. You, you know yourself. You know what you went through this week. You know what you thought. You know your, your actions, your activities, your doubts, your fears. You know your sin. That's what all of it is. Let's just call it what it is. It's sin. His love for you never changed if you're one here. Secondly, here, it, we, we learn from these, these, these words that, that God has provided everything needful for our salvation and that the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns and disposes of everything in order to communicate all His blessedness unto us as His children. But we're comforted by something else as well. We're comforted by the fact that the glory of God the Father and the exaltation of our mediator is totally dependent on God bringing us to heaven. If I don't go to glory as one who he has brought to believe his promise, God has failed. Abraham believed on him who justifies the ungodly. And he, Abraham, the father of the faithful, when he had been told that he was going to have a son in his old age, and he was not looking to that son, Isaac, as his redemption. <laughs> he was looking for the promised seed. That's what he was looking for. And it says there in Romans chapter 4, who against hope, believed in hope, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, in that what God had promised, what God had promised, He is able to perform. Again, we come back to the promise. What's He promised us? Eternal life. He's able. You hear that? He's able to fulfill the promise. With no conditions on that. 
So we're, we have the ultimate assurance of the Father and the Son that both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exercise all of their attributes, all of their being on our behalf. And that's what Paul prays for on our behalf. And he, and he starts off here, he says, I've heard of your, he says, I've heard of two things. I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love. Think about that. I've heard. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Facebook. <laughs> didn't have X, Twitter, formerly. Instagram. Didn't even have a phone system. Paul heard. What did he hear? He heard of their faith and their love. But here's the thing I'd have you to notice. Love, whatever this love is, you know what? It always comes with faith. Always. We love him because he first loved us. Now these two, faith and love, they can be distinguished from one another, but they're inseparable. Whatever this faith is, wherever this faith is present in the God, child of God, you know what's also there? Love. Whatever this love is. We're going to talk about it in just a second. And I'll tell you this much, in the absence of this love, whatever he's talking about that he's heard of in him, you've got to bring this thing forward to our time. The faith of God's elect didn't change. The Holy Spirit hadn't changed. Salvation hadn't changed. So whatever he heard of and saw in these people, you know where it's at today? Same faith and love is in God's church in every generation. 200 years before us, 500 years after us. Go either direction you want. When God works salvation as people, faith and love is present in them. Whatever these two things are. John put it like this, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. So what Paul tells them and what I'm telling you and me as his children is this, is the absence of whatever this God-given love is that we're talking about, it evidences that one, the, whoever the one is that doesn't have this love, doesn't have this faith, that they're, whatever they consider or call faith, you, we all have friend, friends and family members that have quote-unquote believed, right? They've had whatever men want to call faith. But if this love's not present, whatever faith they claim they have, you know what it is? It's just middle agreement to some facts, to some truth. Now, don't get me wrong, we, we, before, before we were converted, we did love our wives or our husband, right? We loved our children. We loved our mom and our dad. All of us did. But not this kind of love. This love flows from one place. It flows from faith. Now, I'm going to try to say this. I hope I can get it out with tearing up again because I didn't cry for y'all enough this morning. The thing that, that, that is so amazing to me about relationships in the Lord Jesus Christ is it transcends flesh and blood. 
I thought about this this week. I, I, I left home, moved away from Manny when I was a little over 20 years of age back in 1979. And so I was with, actively with my mother, because I was a mama's boy and a daddy's boy. I stayed right there at the house. I didn't take many trips, and when I did, I'd get homesick and come home uh, before midnight most of the time. But at 20 years of age, when I met and fell in love with my wife, I moved away from home. Moved to Shreveport in 79, stayed there from 79 to 86 when they called me as their pastor at Heiko Baptist Church. And when that thing blowed up over the gospel, I moved to Alexandria. I'd, I'd met Bart and Sally and those that were the uh, Red Buddy and Lynn and the original members, but that, that David Nabby, uh, Angela and Stanley Dyson when they were here. I met all these people, and I knew all these people, and we had a relationship in the gospel together, and I moved to Alexandria, and then they started Grace Baptist Church in Bart and Sally's house back up there in 1987 and called me back. And the first time I came back as their pastor and started to roll was October the 11th, 1987, when I came back up here. So from October the 11th, well actually I go back farther than that because I met Bart and Sally the first time in November 1985. And I, there was an immediate connection even before we knew the gospel. But then when the Lord brought the gospel to all our attention and brought us by his grace to true faith and true repentance, everything changed. And so I was with Bart and Sally and their family and my brothers and sisters in Christ from 1987 to when Bart went home this morning. So I was with them 36 years. I was only with my mom and dad 20 years. And as much as it hurt me to lose the, the ability to talk to and see my daddy uh, like I could previously, it hurts in my soul to know I'm not going to ever be able to talk with Bart in this lifetime again. And I'll tell you what, Bart and Sally were more important to me than my own mom and dad was. Because we shared something I did not share with anybody in my family. And still to this day, I have prayed and I have used every means I can to reach everybody in my family without driving them crazy or getting them to where they hate me and tell me just don't ever come around again. They, they treat me and Pam differently now than they did in the past. And it's because they... they, 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 they they use this excuse, well, they believe a little different than we do. No, we don't believe a little different than we do. We're serving different gods. We believe in different Christs. We declare a different gospel. I still love them. I would love to see, and I would hope in my lifetime, I would see somebody in my family brought to true faith and true repentance. But so far, ignorance and unbelief. But we share a common bond. And it, and it transcends everything. I remember the first time when Kenny and Sandra showed up, and Brenda Kay and Donald showed up, and Ken showed up, and I know my thought processes are, and after they got done, and they left that first Sunday, the same way with Ken when he came down. I, in my mind, I'm always Mr. Negative. I thought, whoop, never see them again. Same way when all showed up a long time ago, you know, judging on wrong standards, not trusting the Lord God to to do his work of grace. And the, the unique relationship that we share with one another, uh, yeah, Kenny and I spent our whole lives 
young lives together, and me and him never spoke. Matter of fact, I probably held him in contempt, and he probably had contemptible thoughts toward me, because I tell you what, I was a snot back then. You know, I, I'm still a snot today, but I was really a snot back then. Kenny could tell you, I was just, a, I was just not a good, good guy. I wasn't. I thought, I, see, that's the thing. I thought my family was rich. My family wasn't rich, but I had that thought that we were rich, that we, were, we had a car dealership, and we were one of the rich families there. And so I looked down my nose on everybody that wasn't as well off as what I was. And if you had told me 11 or so years ago when y'all showed up that Kenny Dice would be my dearest friend and brother in this life, I'd have told you you've lost your dead mind. But it's because of this gospel. That's all. We ain't gotta, I, you ain't never going to see me pick up no body hammer and beat on nothing. I ain't going to no car shows. And you ain't come to no football games. That ain't the bond. When we sit down every Sunday together and go out to eat, we don't sit there and talk about it. Well, well, politics do come up occasionally. But we, we try to talk about things that are important to us spiritually. Eternally, those things that glorify and honor our God. That's the love of Christ. That's what we're talking about. And by nature, we didn't have that love before God regenerated and converted us. You, you think about you think about uh, uh, I mean, I ain't gonna cover one verse today. <laughs> you, let, let, let's take let, let's let me give you an example. Think about uh, uh, the the best Armenian pastor you can. Speaking, I'm not talking about Armenia over there in the Middle East. I'm talking about somebody who believes in free willism, that believes in the man or the woman makes a difference. Their choice makes a difference between life and death. But listen, are you going to question? Yeah, been I pass a guy that's the pastor of one of the local churches here on the walking path every day. He's running, I'm walking. He's a lot younger than me. He's been pastor at that big church here in Ruston for quite some time. Do you think he's not dedicated? Do you think he's not sincere when he's up there today preaching on TV here locally? Do you think he's not sincere in what he's doing? But you take that sincere, moral, dedicated Armenian pastor, one who's kind-hearted, and I bet he is because he always speaks to me. He always comes by me and says, How you doing, pastor? And I'm like, Okay, how you doing? You know, because I'm like, I ain't going to call you pastor because you're the same thing I was before the Lord converted me. But I, he's, he's, he speaks to everybody. I bet you the folks at the church where he, or the, the group that he pastors, the group that he leads, they love him. And he loves them, and his wife probably loves them. He's well thought of, he's probably forgiven. He probably is trying his dead level best to avoid. I know, I know this to be the case because I did it. I know he's doing his dead level best to avoid every known sin, and he's doing his dead level best to do every possible good. He's trying to be generous. He's trying to pray. He's trying to study and prepare. He's trying to win people to the Lord. And I don't doubt his sincerity or any of those people, family, friend, or foe. He loves his family, he loves his friends. He loves prayer. I bet he's got a dedicated place that he prays, because I did. It was always at Heiko Baptist Church, on my face, in front of the, the, the table, stretched out like I was on a cross. 
and usually 30 minutes in, sound asleep with drool running out of my mouth. But that was my place, and I didn't want to lock the doors, and I went in there, and I spread out. And you, I tell you, if you had questioned my sincerity, I'd have told you. <laughs> well, I, wouldn't, I was too holy to, to tell you what you need to do. I'd have, Lord, be gracious to you. Yeah, but in my mind, I'd be thinking, well, you ain't doing what I'm doing. You don't pray like I pray. I thought, thought that of my wife. I thought, ain't nobody prays like me. Ain't nobody as dedicated as me. But, folks, he doesn't have this kind of love that flows from true God-given faith. How do we know that? Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Yeah, we're going to come back there and pick up with that next week. I just looked up the clock, and we're just about done with time. We'll come back, and we'll pick up with that thought. I see, but look at that verse this week. I want to talk about that because we, we've got to qualify what this love is that we're talking about and where it flows from. And I think this verse right here, more than any other verse in the Scripture, gives us the clue to understanding what this love is because it shows us the opposite, what's in us by nature. Carnal mind, it's not is at enmity, it's not is at enmity, it is enmity against God. It is not subject, for it is not subject to the law of God. And it can't be. Now we'll talk about that next time. You're dismissed the worship. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. We'll be back in about 10 minutes.